This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL hockey pod podcast with Statsman and AJ, brought to you by PropSwap. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host is AJ Schultz, who's a great follow at AJ Schultz24, back in the co-host chair in Madison, Wisconsin. Partner, we've talked briefly about the fact that the NHL intends to play a condensed 82-game schedule next season. I'm hearing two possible start dates, one... Re- more realistic than the other i would say uh, december 1st or january 1st are the proposed start dates and now there's even talk the latest tidbit of day night double headers between teams so that they can get more games in in a shorter period of time and they're going to take a page out of the baseball book that we've seen this season with the, them shortening the games in the double header to to seven innings same thing could happen in hockey how would you feel about three 15 minute periods well, look, ultimately, uh, I think what I would like is uh, a full 82-game schedule. So if, if that's the best they can do, I'll take it. Um, but I, I would prefer, uh, you know, that we stick with 20-minute periods. Um, probably not really big on, on the day-night doubleheader option. Now, of course, the, the problem there is then, you know, you're potentially playing, you know, four days and five or something like that. So... Um, I think either way is not going to be a great result in terms of potential injuries because, you know, if you play in the morning, you play at night, I think you're just as prone to, you know, picking up injuries as if you play four, you know, four out of five days or something like that. So um, there's no good answers. I don't envy the, the NHL on this, but I do think a full 82 game schedule makes sense. Um, it gets back to a little bit of what we're used to here. Um, and as far as start date, you know, look, I, December one would, again, I would prefer that cause I'm a fan. I want hockey, uh, to start playing as soon as possible, but I understand the financials of it being able to have a, at least a portion of fans in there and that maybe a January one start date makes that more possible. So look, I, I wouldn't rule anything out. Uh, ultimately, Let's just play some hockey, right? But uh, you know, I, these the the day night fifteen minute period proposal is not one that I'm particularly fond of. Yeah, I think I'd like to. Ra- I'd rather see, you know, say Montreal comes to Toronto. Let's play games on Saturday and Sunday, 
you know, two games in two days, and it's rather easy then for Montreal to move on, on and play a third game in four nights, and the Leafs can do the same thing, uh, having played those two games back-to-back without the travel. So that, I think, is going to be helpful in terms of condensing the schedule, looking at ways to have teams play multiple games in, in uh, a stop in each city. So we'll get around that, the schedule that way. I could see that happening. Uh, again, taking a page out of baseball where, where teams visit a, an opponent and stay there for two or three days. Same thing could happen in hockey, and I think that's one good way to shorten the schedule. I'm not sure about the December 1st start date, AJ. There's a lot that has to happen from the end of this season to, to the next one in terms of logistics, rest time for the players to, to properly train for another season and get some downtime as well. Uh, you're asking a lot of them uh, to start it so quickly. I think January 1st is a more realistic date, and why not start it off with the, the big outdoor game as a, a kickoff? Uh, I think it would be a neat way to start the season. I don't know how they get it done by June because that's like an average of 14 games a month without the all-star break uh if i do my quick maths and 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 then you got a playoff that's going to take take place too so i don't know how they get it done any faster than uh, than the end of june uh i i i think that's a very unrealistic target so i think we could see hockey again uh, realistically leaking into next summer in terms of what's happening around the league, there was another deal that we got to talk about, AJ. A rather interesting one for me. Marcus Johansson and his four-plus-million-dollar four cap hit uh, moving from Buffalo to Minnesota in exchange for Eric Stahl. Now, coupled with that, we have the news that they're, uh, Bill Guerin has decided to opt out of... Uh, even negotiating with Miko Koivu, a 37-year-old center. So the middle of the ice is going to have a different look for Minnesota for sure instead of Stahl and, and uh, Koivu. Uh, and Marcus Johansson fitting in over there. But uh, for me, the interesting side of it is Eric Stahl moving on to Buffalo. Uh, this guy's haunted Maple Leafs big time in his career, and now he's going to get to play them more often. So I, I think Leaf fans are a bit wary of this move just because of Stahl's dominance against the Toronto club. But uh, more than that, I think he offers some leadership to the Sabres that's badly needed. Yeah, I think the interesting side for, for Minnesota is that you're potentially looking at a, a center position um, that could be Joel Erickson-Eck, Alex Galchenyuk, and Nick Bugstad as your 1-2-3 there. Now, they said they brought in uh, Marcus Johansson to, to play center, so maybe you flip him and move Galchenyuk to the wing or, or something like that, um, or move Bugstad up. I mean, that's certainly a, a possibility. He played um, you know, some second-line center at, at times in Florida and and uh, Pittsburgh. So it's it's interesting to see what they're doing there. It's obviously, you know, it's very clear that the goal is to get younger, but then to also um, kind of shake up the culture there. I mean, you're talking about a forward group now that only is going to have two guys over the age of 30 in Zach Parisi and Matt Zuccarello. They're not bringing Koivu back, which means they're going to need a new captain next year. Obviously, Zach Parisi uh, makes the most sense uh, to fill that role, but uh, the the clear focus is is to get younger and to maybe just shake things up a little bit um, in in terms of the front office there on the Buffalo side. Uh, I think this is a good deal for them. I mean, center has been uh, kind of a, a black hole for them for a while, and, and part of that is uh, you know Casey Middlestad has really not uh, you know worked out the way you would expect based on when they drafted him. I think the expectation was a year, maybe two as their third line center, and then potentially slotting into that second behind Jack Eichel. And that just hasn't worked out for them. So you get a guy like Stahl, who I think 
uh, still has something to offer. Potentially, you've got him playing with with either Victor Olofsson or Jeff Skinner, um, and then potentially Dominic Cahoon on the other side. So I, I think this gives Buffalo a really dynamic looking. Uh, top two that has some scoring touch now stalls numbers could drop off and that would really hurt this deal significantly but i think he's got another year maybe two in the tank here uh, for them to maybe find somebody else that can can be the future in in that position behind jack eichel there's an opportunity to say something about kevin adams here the general manager of the buffalo sabers former teammate of eric stall aj and uh he has a high regard for Stahl's leadership ability, as I touched on that in my assessment of this trade, and I really think that's a key part of it. And don't forget the fact that Stahl also played with Jeff Skinner. This guy struggled the last couple of seasons in Buffalo after moving off the top line with Jack Eichel. He was a different player and much less productive despite that big ticket uh, salary cap that he carries. So I, I think it's important to note that as well in, in terms of assessing this deal. It's basically a chance for Stahl to have an impact on and off the ice in Buffalo and uh, a trusted friend of his is the GM here that's going to give him every bit of rope to make that happen and if he does that solidifies the number two center position which you said has been a bit of a problem in Buffalo for a long while in Minnesota we, we see a transition from an older club now you you talked about it off the air there's a lot of youngsters in the, that they weaved into the mix so they've done their rebuild on the fly AJ and yet to maintain the integrity of the club in terms of of the way they want to build it without going through that full full blast of a rebuild that most clubs do entertain so credit to bill garen for for getting that aspect done he has taken on a little bit, bit more salary here but minnesota could afford to they almost have a full complement of players and so uh, this wasn't going to hurt them at the at the in their piggy bank but uh, eric stahl an older player too so they moved off of that situation as well uh, with some pretty good style points here too uh aj we made a, a note of prop swap in our lead-in to the show they are a new sponsor of ours and i'm pretty getting pretty excited about some of the things that i'm seeing here uh, the smart better knows where to find the best offs before placing a bet and that's why we always use prop swap look at the stanley cup final uh, we got two teams in there that are uh, very different in terms of makeup and it's almost reflected in the odds here after the first two games where we see the series tied at one tampa bay lightning to win the stanley cup the odds are minus 400 uh, the opportunity here is for a price of 120 bucks collect 150 bucks that's not much of a win because in terms of prop swap they see the lightning as a heavy favorite here you go to the flip side though and dallas stars this isn't kind of an attractive situation to me where you can almost double your money uh, they're a minus 142.86 you can collect 340 bucks for the low price of 200 bucks so uh, for a, a team that's only three wins away from the stanley cup you can pick up uh, a, a nice bit of change here on that situation uh, that's uh, it's obvious that prop swap customers always find the best odds because you can buy directly from other bettors just like yourselves take a look at what's available currently on the prop swap website propswap.com come join us prop swap is the edge you've been searching for don't delay go to propswap.com today aj what do you think about those lines uh, are they reflective of your opinion of how that series is is going to play out yeah, I definitely think so. You know, I, I think for me, I, I wouldn't uh, necessarily uh, go with the, the buy option on, on either of those, but certainly I would put in a bid, you know, that lightning ticket, um, as, especially with how game one went, maybe that that better's uh, easier to sell that. So maybe you could bid around $75 and, and then you're doubling your money. And I, I like that a lot better. And same, 
you know, same with the Stars. Maybe they were high on it uh, after game one, not so much after game two, and maybe you could get that to closer to, you know, uh, 175, 150. So the the opportunity to bid uh, really helps. Uh, you know what I'm looking at for for these tickets and and to submit a bid and, and see where you land on those. So um, there's some great options out there. Uh, you know if you really want to, if you've got the spare cash laying around, there's a a, a ticket out there to collect thirteen thousand dollars. It'll cost you ten thousand seven fifty. So you know if any of our listeners are out there with some spare scratch uh, laying around and want to drop a, a couple grand on that one. Um, that's up there too you know maybe you bid on it maybe you can snag it for for a low low price if tampa starts to you know take a, a edge in this series so there's tons of fun uh and and interesting options obviously prop swap has things uh, outside of the nhl too they've got nfl college football nba college basketball mlb golf a whole bunch of options for you so uh like paul said we encourage you to to jump on there propswap.com but before we kick off the rest of the show i'll just remind our listeners that throughout each week if you have questions about your lineups fantasy hockey or just hockey in general you can tweet at us and we'll try and answer your questions uh you know throughout the week Uh, if we get a real good question we're happy you know we might even discuss it on the show so obviously uh you know reach out to us as paul said you can follow me on twitter at aj schultz 24 and you can follow paul the statsman at statsman 22 Okay, but partner, on today's show, we're going to take a look at what happened in the conference finals that led into the Stanley Cup final, and there's been two games played in that set today, to date as well since we last uh, were on the air. Uh, but uh, let's take a look at what happened then, and a and, uh, bit of a rearview mirror situation because there were no games between Vegas and Dallas last week. That series was completed by the time we did our last show. Uh, any last thoughts about that set? I was surprised, AJ, that Dallas was able to dispatch, dispatch Vegas in only five games, despite the heroic work of Robin Leonard uh, in these playoffs. He didn't have much work in this set, as Vegas really consistently outshot the Stars in the five games, but uh, Dallas, Dallas did make short work of them. I mean, uh, a hot goalie will, will do me every time, uh, you know, that's um, always, always the adage. You, if your goalie's going at the right time, they can, you know, really turn the tide of a series. And I think that's what we saw. Props there to, to Anton Kudobin. You know, I did uh, a handicapping article on, on uh, went out on on Friday, I believe, that talked about looking at the finals. And and one of the things I pointed to is if Dallas wins. Uh, the Stanley Cup here. I don't know if there's any better uh, choice for the Conn Smythe than Anton Kudobin. He's just been, uh, you know, phenomenal for them, and, and really, uh, I think a great, uh, a, a great hero and, and kind of leader in the locker room for them. Uh, it is going to cost them some money, I think, if they want to <laughs> re-sign him next year. Um, but when you're talking about, you know. Uh, Paul, especially split schedules or, or day and night games. Look, the same goalie is not going to play the day and the night game. That's not going to happen with, I don't know, maybe the exception of Vasilevsky. He's probably the only guy. Maybe him and Hellyabuck will be the two that do it. But other than that, uh, I think you'll see different goalies. So you're going to need a second guy here. And, and so that might be Dallas's approach. Well, and, and you got to tip your hat to the offensive leaders on the on the Stars. 
I'm talking about the likes of Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan primarily. These guys really ramped up their defensive game too, and and that's really the signature of the Dallas Stars blueprint. These guys sacrificed their scoring totals during the course of the season to buy into that defensive structure, and here's where we saw that it was paying dividends. They are still among the leaders in terms of points the team produces, but really uh, you can see a whole focus on the defensive side of the puck right from that top line on down, and that's really helping the buy-in of this entire club and, and their makeup to, to really give the, the Knights a ton of headaches because uh, the Stars played at a phys- physical game with that defensive acumen and uh, proved to be too much for them to handle, in my opinion. On the flip side, the Tampa team still without Steven Stamkos. If you would have told me they would have won three series without their captain in the lineup and with guys like Braden Point banged up, I'd have said, you're out of your mind. There's just too much that they lose from having, not having those guys in the lineup. But they also uh, showed uh, an attention to to the de- defensive side of the puck. They picked up some guys that play the game more physically than than the, uh, Tampa's noted for, uh, with the likes of Goudreau uh, in the, inserted in the lineup up front, Magosian on the blue line, and even Luke Shen. They've they've become a very different team to play. We had this t- series handicapped at Tampa in six games. That's exactly how it played out. The lone game. Uh, after our show last Tuesday was a 2-1 to one overtime win uh, by Tampa that just underscored everything that I've said, that they out-islandered out the New York Islanders in this hmm. series. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I, you know, it's, it's one of those things. You look at a, a few tipping points in, in every series that can kind of change um, how things go, and, and I think, you know, there are a couple... OT bounces uh, along the way a, a different route and, and maybe that goes a, an extra game here but um, you know credit to, to Andre Vasilevsky and uh, really kind of holding down the, the back line but to your point the, the shot totals for him haven't really been that high um, you know so from a DFS standpoint he's actually not been the best netminder to use lately because he's not facing a lot of shots but um, ultimately you know you're down to just two guys to pick from and you got to have the winner I think on on the night there but uh, especially if it's Vasilevsky because they, they really are doing their best to, to limit the shots there. AJ we're going to go into the Stanley Cup final before we talk about the award winners that were announced last night so we got two games into this set and uh, we see both each team winning one game. Uh, the first game, why don't you handicap for our listeners what you saw in the first game, a Dallas win against maybe what would be considered a tired Tampa club. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the Dallas Stars got, you know, production from all their big studs, right? Or maybe not. Um, they, you know, they. Are, this is what you need. They didn't really get much from Ben Sagan, Radulov in that game. Their goal scorers uh, were Alexiak, who uh, has more goals in the postseason right now than he did in the regular season. Uh, Jason Dickinson, Joel Kivaranta, who nobody had even heard of during the regular season. And then Hanley as well, another player that, that I don't think anybody really knew much about either. So, um, look... It, in that game, everything was was coming up uh, roses for them. Hudobin was phenomenal, stopped 35 of 36 shots, uh, another solid outing by him. And again, you look at the the other side. Um, Vasilevsky honestly did not have a good game, in my opinion, when he only faced 19 shots, so they were doing their best to limit it. Um, you know, he gave up uh, three goals. So the last one there was an empty nutter. So. 
really, I, I would say it was a bad outing by Vasilevsky in game one, a good outing by uh, Hudobin. And then you get production from guys you otherwise wouldn't really expect. Yeah, I think you can say there was a short turnaround that really impacted the outcome from Tampa's point of view. They weren't really ready to play this game. And against a lawnmower like the Dallas defensive team structure that I've touched upon many times in these playoffs, that was just too much of a hurdle for them to overcome. But Tampa got back in the series with a with a quick burst of a, a three-goal output last night. A.J. Uh, Shattenkirk point and Palat getting the goals. Kucherov and Hedman have been fantastic in these playoff two assists each. And Vasilevsky was a little busier. 29 shots faced. He stopped 27 of them. On the Dallas side, we had Pavelski, who's had an outstanding playoff for Dallas. And Jan- Janmark getting the goals. Radilov and Klingberg have been outstanding for the Stars in these playoffs. And they got two assists each. You mentioned Kudobin's excellent work. Well, he was... A little less than excellent in this one, I'll say. 28 of 31 in the shots versus goals. Uh, saves uh, shots attempts uh, on goal, rather. And uh, so Dal- uh, Dallas was coming hard at the end of the game. I watched this third period very closely. They had Tampa on the ropes, and I, I had the feeling that if they could ever tie it up, the, the Lightning was going to be in trouble in this one. But credit to Tampa for uh, circling the wagons and holding, up, holding them off to get a key win and, and being able to take a bit of a deep breath now to think, okay, we've evened up the series. We got past the first uh, game that was a, a quick turnaround, like I suggested. And so now they're more, both teams are on equal footing, in my opinion, AJ. And uh, the series reverts to a situation where Dallas has the last change. Maybe that's a factor in the next two games. We'll wait and see. But uh, I'd like to know what you are expecting from these clubs in the rest of the series. And will you go out on a limb and pick a winner? Yeah, I think the the biggest thing that that I would expect from both sides is, uh, you know, I I think 4-1 is probably going to be the biggest margin uh, that we see in this series. I don't think we're going to see too many blowouts here. Uh, The 3-2 game is probably more likely what we're going to get. I I would be shocked if we don't get at least one overtime game here um, because these teams are pretty well matched up. Uh, It sounds like maybe we'll see Stamkos for for game three. Um, You know, I'm so back and forth on that. Like if if I'm coaching Tampa, like I don't want to leave a healthy Steven Stamkos out of the lineup. Right. I mean, he's one of the best players to ever, you know, hit the ice in the NHL. But you also have a team that's gotten this far without him. You've got chemistry on your lines right now. They really haven't done a lot of shuffling. Um, in terms of their forward combinations, which I, I definitely prefer. And so, you know, does putting Stamkos in actually make it worse, uh, especially if he's not like 100% fully healthy? Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see what happens if, if Steven Stamkos is, is deemed healthy here at some point. Uh, you know, on the other side, I think, uh, you know, they're going to need – um, production out of the the guys that produced in, in game two obviously it wasn't enough but you had Pavelski Radulov Klingberg all, all contributing here and, and making an impact after really being no shows um, for much of game one so for me uh, I think you know you look at the the Stanley Cup finals in, in the last couple of years three of the last five Stanley Cup finals have been decided in game six. So I'm going to go and, and say that, that that's probably what we're going to see here. Um, and I, I have picked against them along the entire way. 
you know, I picked them to lose to Vegas. I picked them to lose to Colorado. Um, so I'm going to learn from my past mistakes, and, and I'm going to pick Dallas here in, in six games. Um, but certainly it's set up to go seven, but, but ultimately Dallas is my pick here. All right, uh, AJ, I, I think that the key dynamic is what happens to the Tampa lineup if Stamkos comes in, and you're going to th- think that everybody gets shuffled down a spot uh, in terms of the wing position. So Andre Palat, maybe his position as a front first liner is in, in jeopardy. He'll move down to second. Then you got Alex Killorn and Tyler Johnson. One of them is going to move down to third line positioning. So keep that in mind when you set your DFS lineup if you're looking at the game night circumstances. But uh, the, the guy that could be the biggest loser is a guy like a Carter Verhage, uh, on the fourth line this guy's played with them the entire playoff and and he could be bumped in the la- latter stages i mean you'll even, you can even go up to the guy and say well you know what you got a chance to put steven stamkos in we got to sacrifice you he'll he'll see the forest for the trees and say you know what it's it's a sound move but i've seen it many times before where star players who've been out of the playoffs they come back in and they don't really the team doesn't really gel the way you would expect it to uh, it's happened even close to home in toronto i remember years ago matt sundin came into a series against carolina after missing a lot of the playoffs and the leafs didn't win another game after they were tied in that series early on they lost three straight so uh, i wonder if that could be something that happens here where the team dynamic is sacrificed a little bit and and they pay a little bit but penalty for it Real, realistically though how can you not put the captain back in the lineup with if he's deemed to be healthy. I know he's working hard. I saw that he really was skated very hard on on the game day of game two, so it was obvious he wasn't going to be playing in that set, but uh, you alluded to the fact that he could be ready for game three, and and the reality is he should provide the club with a shot in the arm, and I think that's going to propel the Lightning to ultimately a series win. This is a team that has lost... uh, for the last several years much earlier than most people projected on playoff runs and it seems like teams before they get over the hump they have to suffer those those trials and tribulations dallas really hasn't had that with this squad so i think the fact that tampa has some bruises and some cuts from prior year experiences is finally something they're going to get over and i will agree with you in terms of the series length i think it's going six games but i will say that tampa's going to take the the cup uh, this season and uh, keep it in the uh, the uh, East, the East Division, Eastern Conference, uh, the toughest division in hockey, I'll say, with the Leafs, Bruins, and and Tampa. I got to get a Leaf reference in there at some point, don't I? I mean, I don't know here, Paul. Let's <laughs> look at the Metro. You know, you got Washington, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia is good now, <laughs> and the Islanders. Columbus too. is hard to beat. I mean, come on. Paul. I I just thought I'd I'd see if I could grab your attention there for a second. (laughs) The award winners, AJ, there were a few more handed out last night. We started last week with the Selkie, Bing, and Adams, but last night the Hart Trophy, the Vezina, the Norris, and the Calder were were delivered to their winners. We have the vote breakdown, which is kind of an interesting thing for for me. This is one of the first years that that the vote's really been as public uh, as we've seen it uh, in other sports. Uh, The Hart Trophy, uh, Leon Dreisaitl, this one was a no-doubter for me. He led the league with, in scoring, and he also got the player vote for the Ted Lindsay Award, which is also the most outstanding player in hockey, so clearly the head of the pack. The Edmonton Oilers have the two most dynamic players in hockey on their roster, and yet they're nowhere to be found in the playoffs. That's a telling thing, too. But uh, Dreisaitl beat out McKinnon and Pan- Panarin for, uh, for the trophy. Uh, 
Uh, McKinnon is going to be in the mix for this for years, too. I, I think this guy's on the verge of greatness uh, to lead the, via the face of the league going forward. I could see that. So uh, the fact that he was second this time around could be just a warning shot around the league that, that he's there to stay, in my opinion. But Dreisaitl, a very worthy winner. So I'm actually going to disagree with you, Paul. And, and it comes for me, it comes down to the definition of, of the award. And I'm, I'm going to probably annoy our listeners as we go through these other ones and, and why I think the right or wrong decision was made here. But player judged most valuable to his team. For me, that's not Dreisaitl. I mean, he's not the most valuable to his team. Without Dreisaitl, that team can still win. They can still put up points because they got Connor McDavid. Without Nathan McKinnon, the, the Avalanche are not nearly as good. I, I understand he's got Rantanen and Landeskog, but those guys are not Connor McDavid. I mean, <laughs> let's be clear. McKinnon is the best player on his team, no doubt, in my opinion. So for me, um, I know he led the league in scoring. I, I, you know, I, I think he's deserving of, of some award. You know, he uh, um, an acknowledgement here, as you said, he, he got the player vote, which I think is fine. But for me... If I'm looking at the player judge most valuable to his team, that's not Leon Draisaitl, and for me, that's Connor McDavid or uh, Nathan McKinnon uh, in this voting. Well, you know what? You you won me over with that. Uh, I was thinking, you know, Draisaitl clearly led the league in scoring. He carried this team when they were uh, without McDavid. Uh, in stretches over the last couple of seasons so he showed his value to the team there but I agree with you if you subtract him over the long haul McDavid and company they'll do enough to to be a very good club but and uh, to your point McKinnon you take him off that team he drives that front first line and he's just somebody you can't take your eyes off him when he's on the ice uh, so uh, I think you can make the case for me and I, I would vote with you on that one uh, the next one I'm curious to hear what you have in terms of the breakdown in terms of the goalies Connor Hellebuck is a guy that I bought into very early uh, in this season and uh, my my success in, in FanDuel and, and uh, season long was really driven by the fact that he had such an outstanding season. Uh, according to the voters, clearly the, the top goalie in the league, Tuka Rask, playing a reduced schedule again thanks to the backup situation that he has over there with Yaro Halak backing him up was second in the voting at 99 and Vasilevsky was third with 31 points so Halibuk a clear winner here behind a suspect Winnipeg defense. He performed heroically and I, I don't know if you can dispute this one uh, quite frankly AJ. No, and I certainly won't. Um, look for me um, I think I'm, I'm a little surprised that Rask got more votes um, and, and or points rather based on how they voted um, than Vasilevsky and and part of it for me is is the games played you know I I think a two goalie system especially with what Boston is doing it works great for them in terms of winning games and and that's ultimately the key here but um, for this award we're talking about the best goalie and so I, I personally would not have have put Tuka Rask in there because he didn't play, you know, for this season's threshold. I would have set it at about 50 games. Um, and so you're looking at Vasilevsky, Hellybuck, Jordan Bennington, Freddie Anderson, and Carey Price in, in terms of those games played. Um, Sergei Bogoroski played 50 games, although he did terribly in them, so he's obviously not in consideration. <laughs> um, and then, so for me, it comes down between Hellybuck and Vasilevsky. Uh, Hellybuck led the league in shutouts with six. Uh, his save percentage was higher than Vasilevsky's. 
um, by by a shade, 0.922 versus 0.917. Uh, and then ultimately, you know, the, the, the goals against average was pretty much the same, uh, 2.57 for Heliobuck, 2.56 for Vasilevsky. So when you factor in the, sh- the shutouts, um, now Vasilevsky did have four more wins. He led the, the league in wins um, this season. But overall, I think Heliobuck played uh, at, uh, more games than anybody else, tied with Carey Price at 58, had 31 wins, one of only three guys to have 30, uh, 30 or more wins, had the better save percentage, led the league in shutouts. So for me, uh, the Vesna Trophy uh, w- went to the right person here. I'm just surprised Vasilevsky was so far down uh, in terms of third place. I'm curious to see how you break down the Norris Trophy, AJ, when we look at the top three scorers in the league, Yossi, Carlson, and Hedman were there, and uh, Carlson led the league in scoring for defensemen with 75 points. He got up to such a great start. The other two guys were playing catch-up much of the season. Hedman actually trailed a three. He was 55 points, but the guy in the middle with 65 points is the guy that won the award. Uh, he was second in terms of the trio and plus minus, but uh, first in terms of goals and really in terms of the quality of the team. Uh, I think you got to rank Nashville as the third best club, so you can make a case for any of these three guys, I think, and, and not too many people could argue with you in a, in a coffee table debate or a barroom debate, if you will, but uh, I would say that they got it right here, picking Roman Yossi, a very consistent performer for a team that was not in the upper echelon of the NHL, but once again, he showed just how valuable he is to his team and uh, one of the premier defensemen of our era, I'll say. Well, for me, when, when I first saw it, uh, you know, Roman Yossi wins the Norris, I was like, are you kidding me? How did John Carlson not win? And so I went digging here, and this is really what got me down the, the definition track here. So the, the Norris Trophy, James Norris Memorial Trophy, goes to, quote, the defensive player who demonstrates throughout the season the greatest, and here's the key, all-around ability in the position. Um, it's not just to the guy who racks up the most points. Um, so when you look at it, uh, Roman Yossi's plus minus was 10 better than John Carlson. He also averaged 30 seconds per game more of shorthanded ice time. So he was killing uh, penalties more often through, throughout the series. Um, you know, they both did it, but but Rossi, Yossi did it, uh, you know, 30 seconds per game more. That That's a lot. That adds up in terms of, of that. Um, power play numbers are, are pretty similar. Carlson's were 26. Uh, Yossi's were 23. As you mentioned, he had the most goals of anybody. Um, so really, I when I dug into it, I, I think this was the right choice and the, and the right player one. In terms, of, and uh, you can almost make the same case in the rookie of the year between two premier young defensemen, Kale McCarr and Quinn Hughes, they were 1-2 in the Calder voting. McCarr getting the win, 1,538 points. Hughes with 1,337. The top forward in this mix was Kubalik with 554 points, a very strong season for him offensively. But this really came down to two young defensemen who are going to vie for uh, recognition head-to-head for the rest of their careers. I think there's not much to pick between them. In terms of the scoring race uh, during the course of the season, you got to say that, that it was close between them as well. But, uh, you know, with one, one guy getting... Even in the playoffs, 16 versus 15 points, Hughes and McCarr, they stayed head-to-head all season long. So, uh, But 
Makar, for me, was a dynamic player right from the get-go, and he had an early lead that he didn't give up, and I think he narrowly edges out uh, Hughes, in my opinion, though uh, I would take either of their careers going forward, AJ, to be quite frank. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think for me, what kind of separates them, again, you know, I've talked at length at how I don't use plus minus for a lot of decisions, but you look at Hughes, minus 10 versus Makar, plus 12. I mean, that's that's a pretty sizable difference there. Now, granted, uh, the team quality around them is pretty different in Colorado versus Vancouver in terms of who you're going to be on the ice with. Um, but Makar only trailed by three points in, in terms of overall scoring here and played in uh, 11 fewer games due to injury. So um, I, I wonder how close this really would have been if Makar hadn't missed that little bit of, uh, of game time. And boy, what a season for defensemen overall, rookie defensemen. You know, we have barely talked about Adam Fox this year. And here's a guy who was fifth in rookie scoring among all players fifth in rookie scoring but third in defensemen uh, as Hughes and McCarr led all rookies you know Kubelik as you mentioned then Victor Olofsson and then Adam Fox right there so uh, that poor guy can't get any luck in terms of this he he is going to be the third wheel I think to this group for for a long time uh, and really I think will fly under the radar for the most part because those other two are going to dominate the the highlights and in terms of the all-star team the first team all-stars contain no surprises we touched on many of these names already uh, Hallibuck, carlson yossi uh, the back end and the forward line dry pasternak and panarin interesting that it's an all european or or uh, other side of the atlantic forward unit there and uh, with yossi uh, on defense that's four of the six guys that are not north american players that that's uh, a rarity in the nhl's history and just uh, uh underscores the quality of the european talent and and other side of the atlantic ta- talent that comes here in the nhl and really excels so a tip of the hat to them pasternak to me uh, one of the premier scorers we didn't really talk about him too much today but one of the premier scorers of our time i think he's going to be a perennial candidate for the rocket richard award uh, finishing tied with ovechkin in that one this year and uh, uh, really deserving of the honors to get to this first team there were no surprises for you i don't think in this mix were there no, not really. I mean, obviously McKinnon uh, could have factored in there, but, you know, Pasternak, as you said, had a great year, uh, Panarin as well. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't take a, a strong hardline stance, but if you included McKinnon instead of either one of those guys, uh, maybe most likely Panarin, um, I, I wouldn't have argued with that either. I think that's the uh, that's the only caveat that I would have added to the all-rookie team. Again, we touched on a number of the names here. You, you even threw in Victor Olofsson. Uh, Nick Suzuki is a guy that I think uh, the Vegas paid a high price to, to get Max Pacioretty, but they're going to watch this guy in highlight reels in Montreal for years, I think, solidifying, finally solidifying the center ice position with the Canadians going forward. And he's going to be a star there for a long time. And Elvis Merzlikens. Elvis is in the building, and he's going to be there for a long while in Columbus, factoring into the net mining mix there. So uh, that rookie squad, a pretty impressive group uh, on their of their own merits. Hughes and McCarr stabilizing the defense there, and Kubalik rounding out the offense yeah i mean and and just off the top of my head i mean if you wanted to make a a second team here you could go adam fox and probably john marino as as your defenders and then martin uh, nekash dennis gurianov and alex nylander as as your forwards so i mean 
even that second uh, potentially all-rookie team would look pretty well. Um, off the top of my head, I don't know who the goalie necessarily would be for that group, but uh, hard to argue with the guys that they picked there. AJ, we want to take a look now. We've gone through what's happening in the current season, but uh, a bit of a look ahead to next season features 14 free agents that I want to discuss in this segment. Uh, they'll be in the news when uh, contract talks begin in earnest and announcements are made next week. So let's go through some of these names, AJ, and th- kind of think about where they might go and what they might earn in terms of the next deals. Uh, a guy that played in Toronto here and really underwhelmed me, I thought he was going to be a great fit as a power play quarterback behind this d- dynamic group of forwards, but Tyson Berry never really fit in. And this is a guy who's had big offensive seasons in the past. Colorado was his uh, first spot where he landed in the NHL, but a bad season with the Leafs, I'll say, might cost him at the pay window. I wonder what kind of a deal he might get, and where do you think he might wind up? Well, I think you're dead on with the fact that he, the the postseason especially, did not help him uh, by any stretch of the imagination, went his last nine playoff games without a single point, and I mean, this you're talking about a guy who, for a lot of those games, saw over four minutes of power play ice time a night. Um, the shot totals, honestly, were bad. Um, one or zero a, a lot of those nights. So I, I do think he probably cost himself some money. Overall, even in a kind of depressed market, I still think he might see a slight pay bump up to around $6 million. He was making 55 um it won't be back in in toronto uh i think you know he may if he wants to get paid that kind of money he may have to settle for a team that's maybe not quite um in the contender status you know and i mean i don't know maybe ottawa you know could probably use uh some defensemen here um and and might be willing to pay although they're always trying to scrape the bottom of the barrel in, in terms of money um maybe maybe uh arizona if they do you know there have been rumblings about trying to trade oliver ekman larson maybe they bring in tyson berry as kind of the the filler replacement there um if they do move him so those are just two places kind of off the top of my head here as as landing spots yeah i'll throw in the buffalo sabers in the mix too aj just because they have they are another team that has money to spend and you wonder about ristolainen if he's gonna uh, stay there another season uh on the blue line uh, behind uh, that that team's uh, chintzy spending on the back end around these types. If you move one out, you're going to have to move one in. So I think, uh, what, did I, what did I say? Lane at 5.4 million on the books, and he was in rumor to be dealt last season. Uh, had a decent year, but I think if they want to change things up and maybe bolster the left side of their defense, that this is a move that they might consider. In terms of uh, next man up, T.J. Brody is an interesting name, another uh, left, left shot defenseman. He, a couple of years ago, I, I thought this guy was on the verge of a, a real breakthrough for Calgary, but in the last year and a half, he didn't play with Mark Giordano, and his play suffered, but when he rejoined him again, he started to show flashes of what he was as a defender, and I think he's going to be a sneaky good value for uh, any team that picks him up. I could see uh, a lot of teams looking for a left-shot defenseman, ranking him among the best available options out there, and I think he could easily get back up around the $4 million cap hit. He might take a bit of a haircut over what he earned this past season what do you say about his circumstance 
Well, I, I would at this point, I would call uh, TJ Brody a, a poor man's Tory Krug. Um, you know, the, the numbers haven't been quite, um, you know, what they what they were um, in, in past seasons, as you mentioned. So, you know, if you say hypothetically say Boston um, lets Tory Krug walk, they're, they're not able to come to terms with him. Maybe they bring in a guy like TJ Brody to kind of replace, uh, you know, as a filler there. So, um I think there'll be plenty of teams, you know, looking to to bring him in. Uh, as you kind of mentioned, the the price tag I think you set at about four million seems seems to make sense to me as well. Um, I, I just don't think, you know, in in the flat cap here, I don't think he can really command what what he was making or, or even above that uh, heading into the season. Well, you touched on the. Tory Krug circumstance. Uh, another teammate of his is a free agent. That's, I'm talking about Zdeno Chara. He's over 40 years of age, AJ. And, and you wonder if he's going to extend his career. Certainly, I don't think it would be anywhere else but Boston. I think if the Bruins are inter- interested in grabbing him for another year and paying him something in the order of $2 million, that deal gets done and uh, Jara, Chara sticks around. But I haven't heard anything one way or another from the big man in terms of what his plans are. I just don't see any other team taking a look at him and saying, yeah, we've got to grab him to fix our situation. No, I mean, I, I don't think he would even want to at this point. The one thing I will say is I, I think he probably, if he wants to play another year, I, I think he needs to consider taking less than, than $2 million. It's It's a little steep for what they're trying to do. Um, you know, especially if they want to be competitive in, in trying to bring Tory Krug back, I, I just don't think two millions enough. And I don't think we'll see. Um, you know, I don't expect it to go full Patrick Marlowe like into the start of the season, like we we saw this last year with with Marlowe and the Sharks. But um, I, I would imagine we won't know more about whether or not Char is going to come back for another year until the Tory Krug situation gets resolved. And AJ Corey Crawford is up next, and he's just coming off a multi-year deal that paid him a six million dollar annual cap hit in Chicago, and he's heading into his age thirty-six season, I believe. So clearly near the end of the rope there, and there's going to be a goalie carousel here, merry-go-round, and you wonder if if he's the last man standing, some team could get him really on the cheap, and uh, I could see if the Maple Leafs lose out and some of the bigger ticket guys that the, the Toronto could be a landing spot for him, and it could be a uh, Hope they hope for the outcome they had with Eddie Belfour some years ago, picking him up late in, the, late in his career and getting two outstanding years out of him. I think if, if Corey Crawford could follow that same path, a lot of teams would jump at him, but I don't think he's going to be in line for anything more than a $4 million deal on, for any team that's looking to bolster their goaltending with the veteran. Yeah, I mean, I, this is a couple weeks old, but reportedly the, the Blackhawks had offered Crawford a one-year million dollar deal um Crawford has has said that you know he's more concerned about play time than he is about um you know salary at at this point in his career so I I do think Chicago could still be a a a good fit in terms of that um you know I I think he would easily edge out Colin D'Elia in terms of being the starter there for for the Blackhawks um, but obviously, if Freddie Anderson's gone, I, th- I think the same would be said in in Toronto. Um, kind of have him groom Jack Campbell for for a year or two here potentially, and and then go from there. Uh, Evgeny Dadonov has 
made the most of an opportunity in Florida there, A.J., where he got to play with top liners, Barkov and Hubert, over much of the last two seasons. Been a steady scorer, coming off a season last year where he had 47 points, a little bit down from the prior two seasons where he combined for 135 points over those two campaigns. But clearly, he has increased his value and his visibility around the league as a top six forward. So any team that's looking for for help in that area will be in the bidding for his services and uh, and he's not uh, that old either AJ so I think this is a guy who can really uh, hit a home run in free agency this year but it will be with a team that probably doesn't have uh, is not uptight against the cap so a team that is in rebuilding mode certainly will look at him and probably throw four to five million dollars a year at him I think uh, that's something that he could reasonably expect uh, in a few weeks. Yeah, I mean, I think the other probably big thing for Dadnoff at this point is, um, you know, he's 31. So what sort of term is that is he going to be looking for versus what are clubs going to be wanting to offer? I, I think if I'm a GM, I, I'm hesitant to go beyond five years. Um, but Dadnoff may be looking for, you know, kind of that last contract, that six, seven years of certainty. Um, and, and a decent pay raise um, from the, the $4 million he was making. I will also say probably a big factor for Dadnov is uh, a full no-move clause because, um, you know, look, if there's always a chance, I don't think I would risk uh, losing him for nothing, but without a no-move clause, there would always be a chance he could be exposed after just one season um, with wherever he lands to, to being selected by Seattle. And I'm not sure if he would want to necessarily make that move. So um, I, I think that'll probably be a big factor as well. So term uh, and the no-move clause is probably going to be some of the bigger hang-ups in terms of finding a, a, the right fit here. And the next guy up here is going to be having difficulty finding the right fit for himself. He'll have a choice between taking less money to be with a contending team or taking more money to be with a non-contender. That's the way it breaks down for me for Taylor Hall in my assessment. He's two years removed from being the leading scorer in the NHL, but in the last two seasons really struggling to find that same level of, of output, I would say. And uh, he didn't do himself any favors last season, splitting time between Jersey and Arizona uh, to up his value, I'll say. And so I'll be curious to see what the situation is and what path he chooses. But uh, I think it's two options that he has. Sell, uh, sell himself low to a contender or sell himself high to a non-contending team, just as he has in the last couple of seasons in New Jersey and Arizona with their situations. The, the issue for Arizona and Taylor Hall is how, how do you get there, right? I mean, they've got a ton of money already eaten up. Uh, right now, they've only got, and this is weird to say of Arizona because they've always historically been closer to the cap floor than the cap ceiling. But right now, they're projected for only $1.1 in, in available cap space, and they don't have that many guys under contract right now. They still need a number of forwards to get signed. Um, guys like Christian Fisher need a contract. Um, so they're going to have to get creative first. And that's why a guy like Oliver Ekman Larson and his $8.25 million cap hit has been floated out there. It's why Phil Kessel's name and his $6.8 million cap hit uh, are, are being tossed around. The problem is those guys have all the leverage with their no movement, no trade clauses. So, um, it, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I, I just look at this team and I don't know how they could move enough salary to, to get it done here without giving up pieces that you don't want to. I mean, sure, they could 
you know, trade Christian Dvorak or Nick Schmaltz or, you know, I'm sure teams would be in on them. But do you really want to do that just so you can fit Taylor Hall in? I don't think so. So from my vantage point, I, I honestly will be shocked if Taylor Hall is back with Arizona next year. Well, and I wonder what a guy like Mike Hoffman is thinking these days. He's in competition with every team that's going to be talking about Taylor Hall. Maybe Mike Hoffman is a fallback position, but it's not a bad one when you look at the fact that this guy for the last seven years has been north of 20 goals scored, and he plays third-line minutes for mo- in most of those instances. So if you're looking for an upgrade to your top six, you can do a hell of a lot worse than a Mike Hoffman who is a- entering his age 31 season, AJ. And this guy would be fired up to get into a top six circumstance. So any team looking for that boost offensively could look for a low-rent option as opposed to the high ticket that Hall, Hall would come with. I think you could save uh, one or two million a year and get Mike Hoffman and, and come away with similar point totals. So I think that he's in a really good circumstance to uh, hit the pay window hard and get himself a better situation than he's enjoyed the last couple of seasons in Florida. Well, the, so I don't want to guess at anybody's like motivations and, and all of that, but you're looking at a guy in Mike Hoffman who, according to our friends at, at, at Cap Friendly, you know, using all their their information for these cap uh, situations. But Mike Hoffman's made, you know, an estimated $24 million over his career, and he's played for Ottawa, which nobody wants to do um, <laughs> at this point, and, and Florida has underperformed. So, it you know, maybe Hoffman's willing to take a little bit less than market value in terms of what he really could get to land with a contender where he can actually be competitive for the first time. I mean, you're talking about a guy that um, hasn't seen a lot of, you know, playoff action here uh, over the course of his career. You're talking 29 playoff games uh, over, you know, a, a several year career. Um, and, and so maybe the money is less the concern for Mike Hoffman. Now I'm not suggesting he's going to take, you know, $2 million to sign somewhere, but Maybe he's willing to take a million dollars less than he could get on the open market with a team like Florida if he doesn't think that they're going to be competitive and, and take a million less to go to some, somewhere uh, that gives him a chance to compete. And uh, for me, the next situation is a, a compelling one. Braden Holtby, who has been a lifer in Washington, he's looking like he's going to cede the number one role to Ilya Samsonov as he comes back healthy next season. All indications are that he will. Uh, Samsonov coming off that entry-level deal that paid him at 925000 has been tabbed as the goalie of the future. And Phoenix Copley is a reasonable backup situation there, too. So the, the squeeze could be on to move move on from Braden Holtby here, who's en- who would be entering his age 31 season, AJ. And so for me, I don't think he's going to get the offer of uh, like a $6 million deal that he's coming off of right now. So I think he is one of the goalies that's going to take a haircut this offseason, but could shop himself around as part of that goalie uh, merry-go-round that I've alluded to and uh, get on with another contending team. Again, Toronto is an interesting possibility there, and I could see him coming over there for something around four and a half or $5 million if they want to pivot away from, from Freddie Anderson. This might be a guy that they would look at. Yeah, I think another potential landing spot you're looking at maybe Edmonton. They're definitely, I mean, I think they're they're a quality netminder away from um, being in, although Edmonton's been linked to a number of netminders in terms of trade. Uh, Darcy Kemper, Matt Murray have have both been linked to Edmonton. Um, You know, San Jose, maybe not a a bad landing spot. They're 
seemingly well equipped in terms of their their out players, but uh, you know Marty Jones has has really underperformed the last couple of years. So maybe they go with those two guys as as a one two. Um, maybe Jones would be better set to to split some time. Um, so there, there's definitely going to be teams interested. Um, I, I'm really surprised how quickly it seems that people have bailed on him. In in you know Ilya Samsonov has decent numbers playing in the KHL, but KHL hockey is not NHL hockey. And I get his numbers. This 16, six and two is great. 0.913 save percentage. But you know who else had a great first two years, seeing limited ice time? Matt Murray. And there's not a lot of, uh, you know, there's not a lot of people clamoring to keep him around right now. So if I'm a Capitals fan, I'm not so sure that it's time to cut bait on a guy that won you the Stanley Cup, has been a consistent producer. You know, if he wants a four or five year deal, I okay, fine, walk away from it because I don't think you want to tie yourself to him that long. But bring him back Holpe for another year or two, especially if we're talking some sort of crazy condensed schedule, and let him split time with Samson off at least. I, I, to me, that makes more sense than than just cutting bait. But obviously, I don't make a, uh, the decisions uh, in the Washington front office. Well, in Dallas, they're going to have a heck of a decision this offseason because Anton Gudobin's had an outstanding playoff. In his age 34 year, AJ, he's, he's uh, thrust his, himself, his name into the conversation with a number of other UFAs that are more notorious or get, have got more headlines in the last few years. But you've got to think that he's going to find a landing spot and uh, he should even be able to do better than the two and a half million dollar contract that he's playing out in dallas this season so maybe he does come back to the team uh, with the success that they had but uh, the grass might be greener on the other side if he goes hunting for a bigger salary he's put himself in a very good spot though i think oh absolutely and and i would imagine you know before the postseason you know when we were in the break i i suggested that you know he would probably fall right in line with about what Yaroslav Halak earned uh, in terms of the the extension that Halak signed for a one-year deal. But I think with this postseason run um, and all the other factors, I think they're going to have to up their offer to probably closer to $3.5 million. Um, I know they're committed to Ben Bishop as well. Um, but I, I just think that's the position that they find themselves in because there are going to be teams that look at what uh, Hudobin did in the postseason and say, well, why couldn't he be, you know, our number one here, potentially, or, or our, you know, one B instead of being, but you know, technically still behind Ben Bishop. So uh, they're probably going to have to pay a postseason premium, for for lack of a better term. One of the more intriguing names in the free agent market this this offseason is going to be Tory Krug, AJ. The Bruins have about fourteen million dollars to spend. They they will use up more than half of that to retain Krug's services couple of things about him though he is a Michigan native and he's been linked to Detroit uh, in rumors that I've seen as possibly going there and helping to reshape the the future of the wings going forward if if Detroit wants to spend big money in free agency they could do a lot worse than than getting a hometown guy to carry the flag for a while there while their rebuild continues but I I do think the Bruins would take a long look at him and to see if they can retain him he would probably go to the top of their salary structure, which is now dominated by forwards. So uh, they would pivot away from that to retain him. Uh, c- uh, tough call for them. 
if they do move off from Tory Krug, they're going to have a tough time replacing the off offensive skills that he brings to the table. But then they look at it and say, this guy's made, missed chunks of uh, hockey each of the last few seasons. So a very difficult fall, uh, call in-house, but uh, other teams would certainly take a look at him if he becomes available. Yeah, I, I think Detroit would be a, a decent landing spot for him in terms of where he would slot in. I mean, you look at their highest paid blue liner right now and you're talking about Danny DeKaiser and he's certainly not, in my opinion, worth five million bucks. So um, Tory Krug comes in. They're not really, if I'm them at least, I'm not really interested in retaining Trevor Daly, Jonathan Erickson. Um, both of those guys have underwhelmed in, in recent years. So you need a guy like that. I mean, uh, looking at things right now, they've got three defensemen signed uh, for next season. You know, uh, DeKaiser, Patrick Nemeth, Alex Biga. Uh, they do have Madison Bowie as a, a restricted free agent. So they're going to be, uh, I think, active here regardless. And Tory Krug, I think, makes a lot of sense in terms of trying to get things uh, going in the right direction for the Red Wings. And up next, uh, we talk about a couple more goalies, AJ. Robin Leonard certainly making the case to be the guy going forward in Vegas. And the rumor is that he's already on the verge of signing a five-year deal for $5 million per. That's a little bit less than Marc-Andre Fleury, who's older, and he's getting that $7 million cap hit. So the notion is that they would pivot away from him and maybe eat some of his salary to dump him somewhere else in the NHL. Does he go back to Pittsburgh as a possible fit? Uh, if if Murray doesn't <laughs> go back there, I'll put it to you. Uh, wouldn't you? Would you like to see that as he plays out his career in the Penguins' colors? I mean, as a fan, I would absolutely love it. But um, I don't think Pittsburgh has the the even you know the max you can retain is fifty percent, and I don't think Pittsburgh has the cap space to be playing paying Mark Andre Fleury three point five million dollars. Um, it just it's not going to work financially. But from a fan perspective, I would absolutely love that. Um, you know, I I've, I've talked at length in, in the last show about how I felt about how the postseason was handled between these two. Um, I, I think you're going to be hard pressed to find a team that's willing to eat seven million dollars in cap again. A few more options open up if you're willing to retain, uh, you know, up to half of that. But even then. Um, you know, if you're paying Leonard, uh, you know, five and a half million, five million, and then you're paying Mark Andre Fleury three and a half to play somewhere else, you've got eight million tied up in essentially one netminder for you, and, and so it'll be another intriguing situation to watch. I think Lerner will definitely have, Leonard rather will have suitors out there um, on the market if if it gets that far. So we'll see what happens. You know, we've got. Only a couple of weeks here until things open up free for all. So if they're going to get a deal done um, before he would hit the open market, they're they're running out of time to do it. I'm really curious to see what happens in Vancouver too. Another goalie situation that bears watching. Thatcher Demko had an outstanding uh, appearance in the playoffs uh, this season, coming off a, a year where he was the backup goalie much of the year to Jacob Markstrom. He is pushing for a larger role, and Markstrom is going to be a free agent next year. So uh, if they pivot away from Markstrom, there's going to be a lot of teams lining up to grab him because, in my view, he did enough to rate among the top 10 goalies in the league. But uh, I think Vancouver has to take a long look at this situation and say, you know what, we have a good situation here. Markstrom's coming off a year where he earned $3.6 million on a short uh, multi-year 
deal. He's got to do better than that. So I could see him getting about $5 million a year. And Vancouver could fit that in under their cap structure. But do they want to move away from that and, and ride Demko for another season uh, for $1,050,000 uh, as one of their guys and go shopping for another guy to maybe split the role there? That's their quandary. And uh, maybe they look at a guy like Louis Domingue in-house or look outside. But I, I think they have a hard time. If I'm the manager there, I take a long look at Markstrom and see if I can retain him uh, because I'm sure he can get a nice deal on the open market uh, ranked as one of the top goalies in the leagues as I, league, as I suggest. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the the there's a couple guys that are going to need some some new contracts here. Uh, Troy Stetcher, Adam Gaudet, Jake Vertanen. Um, but overall, I think they've got the cap space certainly to to tie themselves to to Markstrom. You know, again, it's going to be the number of years. I mean, if he's looking for seven or, or potentially eight, he could get eight from from Vancouver. Uh, that's a little bit too long for me, but three to six uh you know six six is a stretch but six is one of those where you give it to him knowing that it could be bad in the last year of it or two um but you know you get four good years or you know it's it's one of those give and take kind of situations um if they do go with thatcher demko as their number one i i really think they would be well suited to keep louis domingue and I'm, I'm sure he would be eager to move back into the nhl after kind of being buried um, in, in the last couple of seasons in the minors. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with you, Paul. I think they would be better suited by keeping Markstrom around, but it's going to depend on how many years he wants. And for me, my absolute ceiling on that is, is six years. And then the last forward I want to take a look at today is Tyler Toffoli, AJ, a guy who could fit on the top six of most teams around the league, coming off a $4.6 million cap hit. I think he's an excellent fit in Vancouver. Uh, they can't afford to keep both him and Markstrom, though, so the decision will be made on one of those two guys, and the other guy will have to go hunting in free agency. But if you want to look at, at what this guy's capable of, he's a solid 20-goal scorer in my mind, with, plays the game rugged and uh, is is certainly a guy that can help you on the power play as well and uh, locked in as a partner with Elias Pettersson there I think the the future would be bright for him as a top scorer scoring winger in this league and uh, he has all the tools to be that and I think could could certainly get something in the neighborhood of a five million dollar uh, annual cap hit at least he's coming off 4.6 over three uh, each of the last three years so that's the snack bracket that he's in and he's not yet 30 so uh, one of the younger guys uh, in free agency this offseason should attract some attention if you're looking for a scoring forward I think the other important thing for for Vancouver here is what can be done about Louis Erickson and his six million dollar cap hit um, you know buyout numbers aren't great especially when you're talking about, you know, this is one of the few times, you know, recently I feel like we have to actually talk about real dollars for teams. And, and a buyout means you're paying a guy not to play while also paying his replacement. And the financial situation in the NHL right now could be that it's it's just not an, an option for a lot of teams because they have to think about real dollars outside of just cap hit here. And so can you get somebody to take Louis Erickson away then you know then you take that six million dollars you hand it right to to tyler to foley and you go from there right but um so i i think he's probably tied to that as well as what they decide to do with markstrom um but i i think even even with louis erickson under contract they've got about 4.3 million available in cap space or 14 rather 0.3 million in cap space and should be enough to take care of both those guys if they want to 
AJ, as we said here today, the defending Stanley Cup champions have a captain who's going to be a free agent next year. I'm talking about Alex Pietrangelo. He's 30 years of age, multi-decorated on the international stage, and definitely the prize the top prize in free agency this offseason. Poor guy for me has picked the wrong year to become a free agent because he's deserving of a raise from his current cap hit that should see him earn in a normal year something in the neighborhood of eight, maybe even nine million dollars a year. The cap hit has been six and a half for him over the last seven years, so there's not going to be any uh, uh, any lotteries to, to try and raise money for this guy or or help him in that regard. He's made a lot of money for the rest of the next two generations of the Pietrangelo family. But in terms of getting what he deserves in the current day and age, he's not going to get it in this free agent cap uh, cap limited year. Uh, that gives a lot of teams a chance to restructure their own situations and take a run at him if he wants to go out in free agency. And the situation is this. In St. Louis, they've committed to Justin Falk uh, when they acquired him, and he didn't really live up to the billing by a long shot. So they really lose out in the in the equation, effectively replacing Pietrangelo with Falk and really suffering uh, quite a drop in terms of the overall quality of team defense, if that's the way they go. But Pietrangelo has been linked to teams, even again, I'll say Toronto is one of them, Pittsburgh is another one. Can these teams really afford to take a guy in without making a significant trade to move a player out? That's what it's going to come down to if a contending team wants to take a run at the St. Louis captain. Well, I don't even know how many teams, you know, even if they move players out are going to be, you know, he reportedly is asking for as much as nine point two five million a year. I mean, that's to me, that's a little bit outrageous in terms of where we are in, in the, the cap situation right now. Now, is he worth that much? I'm, I'm sure he probably is. You know, that would make him the third highest paid uh, in terms of cap hit, third highest paid defenseman in the league behind Eric Carlson and Drew Doughty. Um, you know, I, I think he can certainly be worth that much money, but does anybody have that kind of scratch to throw around right now? I, I don't really see it. And so um, it'll be interesting to watch what he does end up signing for um, and, and where. But I do agree with you, Paul, even if he comes in at a million less than that, eight and a quarter, or even at seven and a quarter, you're talking about teams are going to have to really get creative to, to fit that in there. And we're going to see stories like this play out in the next couple of weeks, AJ. Uh, we just touched on these names, but we're going to know the dollars that they earn in a couple of weeks, I think. They're all going to be signed up fairly quickly, I would suggest. And uh, it's going to be the beginning of a lot of movement in the off season. And we'll be back to talk about that the next time we get back to you. AJ, any thoughts before we wrap this thing up? But we're going to tell our listeners that to stay tuned to our Twitter accounts. We'll get to them in a sec. But uh, we don't know when our next show is going to be scheduled. It'll be after the Stanley Cup is awarded. And we'll, we'll finally sit down and, and plan our off-season uh, scheduling and share with our followers for sure. So important for them to stay tuned. And we'll make an announcement before next week's regularly, normally regularly scheduled Tuesday time slot. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, the thing is, we're, we're going to have a lot to, to discuss here in, in the coming weeks. So I think, uh, you know, we'll probably be around for our listeners. You know, we've got the Stanley Cup final rolling uh, this week. We've got the draft is kicking off. You know, we're two weeks out from from the draft and then free agency is just a couple days after that. So um, there's going to be plenty of, to talk about, I think, the next couple of weeks. So um, you know, I I'm fully expecting us to be to be around and to be active for for our listeners to kind of keep track of all this and, and what it means 
uh, for your fantasy teams. So that wraps up this episode of Podcast with Statsman and AJ folks, brought to you by PropSwap. As I said, look, look forward to our Twitter accounts announcing our next scheduled episode. You can follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen in to the podcast to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody.